welcome to the Feminine Marketing Show. I'm your host, Hannah Hermanson, copywriter, retired business coach, creator of the Feminine Marketing Funnel, and expert vacationer. I'm here to give you the lowdown on everything I've learned about building multiple six-figure businesses in a feel-good, feminine way. So if you've been wondering, isn't there a better way to play this whole business strategy game? You are in the right place. Every week, I'll be here with my best advice, trainings, and mindset shifts so you can grow your business with ease, integrity, and so much joy. You can always pop over to dfycopywriting.org to learn more about me, my team, and the work that we do at Done For You Marketing. Now, let's get to the show. Today is a big day, friends. You almost heard my singing voice. No, no, no. Not because of that, because we have someone on the show today who I am a proud fan girl of. Admittedly, I do not consume a ton of content. Um, been off social media for a while. I got my Netflix and my Hulu, but like I really don't listen to a ton of podcasts or consume like a bunch of other entrepreneurs' stuff. I I'm a creator. I I generate my own inspiration. However, Laura Belgray, who is our guest today, is someone who I consume all the things <laughs> that she she puts out. Laura is someone that I LOL with virtually and have befriended on the internet. And I'm just tickled that she agreed to join us today on the Feminine Marketing Show to sit down for an honest chat about how she's kind of fallen into this feminine marketing approach because she is the founder of Talking Shrimp and co-creator of The Copy Cure with Marie Forleo. And through her work with hundreds of clients, including people like Marie and Amy Porterfield, she's seen firsthand that putting you into your copy and all through your business is pure magic for getting people to love you up, share your ideas, and happily click your buy button. So Laura has not just been around the entrepreneurial copywriting world. She also has some street cred over at NBC, Bravo, HBO, TBS, Fandigo, and many, many more. So if you watch TV and don't skip the commercials, you've probably seen her words on air. Uh, she's got a book coming out. She is an affiliate marketer and just a genius copywriter who has so much to share with us today. Because something that's so special about this conversation with Laura is that she didn't necessarily consider herself a feminine marketer. Um, you know, I gave her my working definition and we talked it out on the show a little bit. And I think it's really fascinating to watch someone who is just following the joy not necessarily subscribing to this is masculine or this is feminine, but really has just come to know that when you feel good and when you're in integrity and when you show up in ways that are authentic to you, it's magnetic. And that's really the potency of feminine marketing. It's not that we are here to say this is right or this is wrong or these are the new rules. It's really about giving us permission to lead with the feminine values of community, connection, collaboration. And Laura's all about that, even if she is a self-proclaimed late bloomer, unapologetically lazy person, and someone who is couch 
motivated. So do a little giddy dance, get your own singing voice out (laughs) and enjoy this real talk with Laura Belgray. All right. Laura Belgray, unapologetically lazy person, email marketing queen, in my opinion, and former, if not still, VH1 employee. <laughs> no longer. Definitely not still. Yeah, it's been, I was, well, I was permalance uh, at mm. MTV Networks, but never a VH1 employee. But that's, that goes back to like uh, the 90s, I think. Right. It was the last time that I worked at VH1. Yeah. Yeah, I picture that era like Mad Men with like gel pens. Is that what it was like? Like you'd go to the office, you'd make some Kool-Aid. It was, it was Not definitely glamorous. Kool-Aid. It was de- definitely, no, there were no pencil skirts. I mean, <laughs> Mad Men, you're talking a little like 40 years before that. But like the um, 90s version <laughs> of it. So you had like boomerangs okay. and like, yeah. you know, 90s things instead of 50s. You know, I did work in a place um, before VH1, before MTV Networks. I worked at a magazine called Spy, which was a very 90s, 80s into the 90s magazine. I started in 92 and uh, they did have like a skateboard in the office. It was the first cool place that I worked and kind of my, like my dream of my vision of working in a cool entertainment-y atmosphere. So I mean, the skateboard might have been the only element of that. There weren't yeah. ping pong tables yet, but yes, okay. it was very well, nice. I'm glad. I'm glad you got that because your <laughs> resume definitely seems like very cool, sexy places to work. Um, but I do know your story of being couch driven and mm-hmm. someone who never, even if it was the sexiest workplace, didn't quite fit in. Right? Correct. Uh, as a matter of fact, the place I just mentioned, that magazine, I had an internship there, where um, we were expected to pitch ideas for the magazine and they really wanted us to become like go from intern to editor or associate editor um, and like pitch our butts off. And I didn't come up with a single idea for anything. And the managing editor took me to lunch to tell me, you know, you can take initiative here. I was like, womp, womp. When you're- <laughs> like invited to take initiative it's really not a good sign that um you're meant for that business or that world so yeah yeah and you you found your way onto a different a different path working more with in the entrepreneurial space and we will fast forward to where you are now crafting copy and teaching others how to really use their email list and their words to inspire people to give them money click the buy button And what I've been watching from my couch and what I see is that you're unapologetically lazy, quote unquote, Um, but you've really used that as a superpower to make your business easy and not be committed to like the hustle and grind or even the side hustle sort of game. So how do you see, maybe it wasn't like (laughs) your lack of initiative, but how do you see like I being unapologetically lazy, being a benefit to you now as an entrepreneur? Yeah, well, it had knowing that about myself and and honoring that um, is what has motivated me to create the business that I have, which is which is couch driven because I 
what I love doing most and where I don't feel lazy is when I'm writing emails, when I'm writing in my own voice for myself. Um, I felt I, I felt really resistant, or you could call it lazy, about client work. So for a long time I had I took clients and I wrote their copy. I wrote I wrote it usually with them. Uh, so we were in a Google Doc together, um, already designed so that I didn't have homework. So we'd get on the phone or on Zoom for an hour. Uh, back then it was Skype um, for an hour or a package of three hours or whatever it was. And we would work together on our copy. So I liked having you no know, homework. I liked getting it done in that time. And there was nothing hanging over me. Um, that was already designed well. But I started feeling really resistant to having anything on my calendar. And that interfered with my laziness. Like I just, I love blank space on my calendar. I love having the day to be in creative flow and write when I feel like writing something, um, just generate my own stuff and feel, and feel creative. I love to be in a place where, and this, this is where I'm not lazy because I, um, because I'm so absorbed when I am writing and don't even look up at the clock, don't know that time is passing until Mm -hmm. it gets dark outside, actually forget to eat, which isn't something that's normal or natural to me. But when I'm in that kind of a space, Mm -hmm. I do forget to eat. I'm not advocating skipping meals, but um, I just love being that absorbed in my work, like that into it yeah, and And that, that in the zone. And that that is your superpower. And that is like, you know, I was talking to you about feminine energy and how so many of us as women, visionaries, entrepreneurs, like we do our best work when it looks like we're not in the work. Right. And that's just so much permission to be couch driven, not necessarily because we're all lazy, but because that's actually where we can like tap into flow. And so many people that I talk to entrepreneurs, copywriters, coaches, they like, they think space is like the weekends. And it's like, there's so much more that we probably started our businesses for space wise. And then we forget that that is that is the power. There's power in space. Yeah. And, you know, I, I found that a lot of women, at least from what it seems, from what they're saying on, on social and anywhere else, a lot of women feel like get their self-worth from being busy, from having things scheduled wall to wall. And I don't relate to that. It doesn't make me feel good. It doesn't make me feel good about myself. It makes me feel overwhelmed and like I can't breathe and I, I, I feel panicky. I feel actually a little, if I, overwhelmed translates to depressed mm-hmm. for me. So if I have a ton of things scheduled back to back and no room to breathe during the day, um, even if I have more than like three things, I, ha- I wake up feeling a little blue. Like, oh, this day sucks. I just need to get through it. I need to get to the end of it. It's not where I feel good about myself. That's not what makes me feel valid as a human. Feeling like I'm succeeding while being on my own terms, like while existing on my own terms and moving through the day the way I want to, that's what makes me feel good about myself. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like the last hundred years, speaking of mad men, <laughs> but we've been fed this kind of like masculine diet of routine, regiment, go to your cubicle, work the hours. And then we equated that to self-worth. And then as women yeah. not being naturally built for that much like chutzpah or like grind or, grind. you know, yeah, show up and do the things, effort. Um, yeah, there's a lot of burnout. And like you said, a lot of people talking about it on the internet, not just us. Right. Um, and I also see how this aha, this like awareness that women are getting that like, oh, maybe there's a better way to do life and business that includes some white space. I see this translating into how businesses are built and how we engage with businesses. So even five years ago, I would say that I felt like the marketing landscape was very problematic, literally, in that it talked about problems. Like, oh, interesting. I'm sure you've heard mm-hmm. about like the bleeding neck and t- talk about all their problems and hit them where it hurts. Yeah. And either I've got rose tinted glasses or I've, I don't know, changed my reality enough that I just don't see that same kind of marketing approach working. And again, back to what I've really appreciated and seen working for you is none of that. Like, okay, you might have this problem of not enough time, but the way Laura talks to you about it doesn't make you feel like you did something wrong or you should be different or there's some like big bleeding neck. So Has this always been your natural approach or did you like learn this in B school or (laughs) how did you stumble upon this sort of like friendly, inviting marketing approach? Yeah, I think it has always been my approach um, and I didn't necessarily learn it in B school. And I think that like Marie Forleo, who created B school, comes from a very male marketing background. And there's a lot of validity to that, like to the pain agitate solve that that kind of thing um and you know i i i don't i don't think that it doesn't work but it never it never appealed to me that much i'm aware of what makes me want to buy and for me it's usually when the outcome seems so dreamy so good that i want that where like when i'm saying i want that that's where I tend to go. If, you know, if we're talking about, um, I don't know, like a, a chiropractor, they do, their their main job is to relieve pain. So they do have to address the pain. Like there are some jobs that are based on pain and do have to, or so they are solutions to pain and they do have to address that. And that's where they have to start. But I think we have a lot of opportunity, especially if like if we're in the course creator world, the coach world, self-improvement, any of that, of showing the delight um, that comes from what we're selling rather than dwelling so much on the horrors before that come before it in the before and after picture. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, so I've always responded to that, for instance, um, in terms of anything around self-improvement or coaching. If I see somebody living in a way that I want to live then I'm enticed. And then if they talk about, uh, you know, instead of saying, instead of saying to me, the audience, um, you know, are you tired of being tired? Are you sick of being stuck? All that stuff. Um, Are you, you know, do you feel like a nobody lost, confused, all those things? Instead, if they 
uh, maybe talk about their own story as having been like having gone through that, then maybe I relate to it. And it even enhances it for me if I know that they came from where I am now. Like Mm -hmm. if I am, if I am in some state of pain, however you define it, Mm -hmm. it does help if they've experienced that and there's been a transformation in their lives or they, you know, so you do need to show that side of it sometimes. Um, But I find, yeah, really what's most enticing, what's most exciting to say yes to is something that shows the positive. Mm. Aspirational. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Aspirational. I, I love that. And sort of tying this back to your story and how you had some resistance about doing client work and realize that you just want to be Laura and you want to speak in your voice and you want your business model to be you write your emails, um, but still earn great money and still support other businesses. I'd love to dive into the aspiration that many people have listening to the show around using our email list to not only make sales for our own program, but establish other streams of income for ourselves. So when did affiliate marketing, was it with B-School that was that the first thing that you realized, oh, I can sell Marie's program to my people? Um, I want to hear a little bit about what it actually takes to become an affiliate email marketer. Yeah. Um, that, I mean, that was the first thing I didn't have anything of my own to sell except for my services. I didn't have anything that could bring in a bunch of money at once, like some scaled offer. And I had been in Marie's mastermind and I had access to B-School. I knew what it was about. Um, She had helped me, like given me the advice to start my business when I segued into the entrepreneur world, haven't often. She had taught me so much that went into B-School. So I knew the stuff worked. I knew it was good stuff. Uh, And I saw, I think, The first year after uh, I did that, I saw a few people online selling B-School, a few B-School alums. And I said to Marie, I was like, I want to sell B-School. Maybe I should try. And she's like, by all means. She's like, Mm -hmm. sure, become an affiliate. Mm -hmm. So I did either that year or maybe it was the next year. I don't remember. But um, I remember, you know, writing a few emails for it and getting sales And that was such a revelation to me. I was like, wow, this really works. And it was $2,000 and I got a 50% commission. I was like, I can't believe for every one that every unit I sell, I get $1,000. This is insane. And uh, I, I told a friend of mine who's not in this world at all. I was like, I've written like three emails and made X amount selling Marie's program, Beat School. Um, And And she said, well, then why don't you write some more emails? (laughs) And I was like, oh, that's a good idea. Mm -hmm. And she's like, write, you know, write three more emails, write a bunch more emails. If each email is bringing in money, why wouldn't you write more emails? Which was such great logic. I mean, she's a lawyer, has not no connection to this world at all. Um, But it was just logic. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote a few more emails. I kept generating emails. And by the end... I don't remember how many I sold. I had a really tiny list. Um, I wasn't super known. And so I probably sold like 20, maybe something like that. I was like, wow, I just made $20,000. Like what a dream. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I'm going to keep doing this every year. And so for a while, that was the only thing that I promoted. I sold 
school and I would make my bonuses more elaborate each year, you know, stopped waiting till the cart opened to decide what they were going to be and um, started getting on the leaderboard after a while. And once I was on the leaderboard, other people started me, started asking me to be an affiliate for their stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so I think the next thing that I was an affiliate for, I'm pretty sure was um, Selena Sue's Impacting Millions course. Mm-hmm. And even better commission for that. It's a higher price point. So a little harder to, a little tougher of a sell. You have to do more for it and give, I think, bigger bonuses. Um, but what a sweet commission. It's 1500 a pop. Mm-hmm. And I I guess the second year I was an affiliate for it. Like the first year, I just kind of tested it out, did a light launch of it, and um, people joined through me. And then, so this the next year, I kind of went all in promoting it. And I'd also, I was also more proof of the product because I had started doing some publicity with Selena's help. She urged me to like help me pitch to Business Insider. So I like the proof of concept really mm-hmm. helped me promote the course in a genuine way and talk about my results from it. Um, so I want, like I was the number one affiliate for yeah. that. Just by writing my stories, like writing stories about my life and how it has changed and how my business changed through publicity and also my own perception of it. Like, again, this is this comes back to not dwelling on the pain. Like, you know, are you so jealous of everybody else in your industry, et cetera, which is one way to go. I wrote more about like, okay, I, I think one of the subject lines was, okay, Hannah, I'm impressed. And it talked about how impressed mm-hmm. I am when I see people with these badges from the Today Show or Business Insider or Fast Company, et cetera, on their websites. I'm like, maybe I'm superficial, but um, I am impressed by these things. And I think other people are too. So when you have them, people are more likely to work with you. So that promotion went so well that I was number one on her leaderboard and just yeah, became known as an affiliate and more people started asking me. I, I don't have room for a lot of things in my, mm-hmm. you know, otherwise you're always promoting something and it starts to feel like ugh right. for me. I don't and you don't like have time to write promoting. your book. That's also right. And then, oh, jumping yes, ahead. You, you might see it behind me. Oh, perfectly positioned on the yes, screen. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. So what I'm hearing, just like the word that's just like all over your screen as you talk is relationships, 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 relationships. Like for you to have a small email list, they they knew you. They had to -hmm. have some connection to you. You didn't go buy these thousand names off of some bot. You didn't scrape them from Facebook ads. Like you clearly had real relationships on your email list. And then the question I get a lot is like, well, where do I find my joint venture partners or where do I find these affiliate things? And it's always like right under our noses and the people we already know. So you are already connected with Marie, thanks to hip hop class. And then mm-hmm. you are already like connected to Selena and went through her program. And I think those like that's just like that feminine approach. Again, it's not about figuring out the algorithm. It's about, you know honing your relationships and supporting the people that you got value from. Yeah. And then translating that to your other relationships, right? So like on that email list, I want to know a little bit more about who was on it. Cause you mentioned it was small when you first started talking about uh-huh. B-School, but as you're talking about the success you were seeing, I would imagine your email list has grown. So is there like a 
like a rom-com, like how the relationship has evolved <laughs> with your email list? Like, does it feel like they're still your people? Do you feel like you've had to change the way that you show up as you've grown? Like, what's the love story with the people on your email list? <laughs> Did we meet cute and on a subway? Um, right. <laughs> I, so, yeah, my like my first people who got on my email list, I think mostly came through... I'm not sure how the first like couple of hundred found me, but they mostly signed up through my um, my opt-in, which was Five Secrets to Non-Sucky Copy, which was based on a talk that I had given. Okay, so this sort of opened the door to these relationships, to people getting on my list and to this world. Um, when I, I gave a presentation for Marie's first live event, which was called Rich, Happy, and Hot Live, uh, it was to... 50 people in the library at Soho House, really small. And um, it, seemed, it felt big to me. And so those people started signing up for my list. And sometimes people would pass along my, you know, oh, you got it. You have to sign up for Laura's emails, uh, et cetera. And that only <laughs> led to like, I, th I think the first year, probably just a couple of hundred signups. I remember having 200 when other people in Marie's mastermind had like 100,000. And then after that, they found me various ways. Uh, I think a lot of them through Marie, through B-School, because Marie recommended me, listed me among her resources in B-School. And that was huge. I also gave her a testimonial. You know, the first time she asked me for a testimonial for her website when she was a life coach, I kindly, like lovingly said no. I felt really bad about it. But I was like, I don't know, professionally, like I work in TV, um, it's just going to be weird if someone Googles me and sees me giving a life coach testimonial on your website. She's like, totally understand. So fine. Um, and then she asked me again, maybe a year or two later and her business was a little different and I still had the same misgivings, but I thought, you know what, who's going to see it anyway. <laughs> and, uh, I'm so glad I gave her one because I, I am quite sure that tons of people, found me like when you give testimonials and there's a hot tip give anyone you learn from offer them a testimonial and especially if you took their course but even mm -hmm. if not offer them a testimonial because if they're big and even if they're not big they put it on their site people will look you up totally whether to see you know who is this person um do i trust them etc mm -hmm. and so i think a lot of people came from that um, and then things just started to grow. I grew my reputation as a copywriter as all, and then starting in 2017, uh, I put out an article on, at first I didn't do anything informational, anything that was, was like, you know, value driven in the, in that bro sense of the word, um, with copywriting tips, whatever. 2017, I started to do that because I discovered that I really loved email and email marketing. And I was like, wow, email marketing really works. I'm selling, like I started selling some mini courses. And it's like, these emails are selling my mini courses. They're making me money. So uh, I wrote a an epic blog post about emails and emails that sell um, that I still like refresh every year because it's, it's really good. It's, it's like a masterclass. Yeah. It is epic. And that got shared a ton and people start, and it, I had a new freebie in it, like some gated content, which was my guide to non-sucky subject lines. And so a lot of people started signing up for that. And my list just grew and I started doing 
publicity. I started going on podcasts. I started um, getting in publications, et cetera. And my list grew exponentially through that. And it's still small. I would still consider it small, but it is still, my list is still whittled down to people who get me and like my vibe and like my voice. I've never changed it for them. If I've changed anything, it's to maybe give more tips, more of that type of value, but not a lot, not a ton of it. It's mostly storytelling still. It's what I've always done and what they expect from me. And uh, I get a lot of unsubscribes because, you know, it keeps it small um, because I promote a lot of things and also because people who sign up just looking for information are not into it or they think that's what they want. They probably don't take action on it anyway, like from those other marketers that they're signed up for. Or simply they're just not your people, right? Like I have tested out so much like detail sharing because I'm not the type that wants to be like in our emails or in our storytelling, be like, and I was crying on the bathroom floor with my 17th fistful of M&Ms. Like <laughs> those are not the kind of stories that I want to share to like, you know, attract or repel people. But I found that using details, like mm-hmm. um, how I had a Toyota Corolla, but I actually don't like cars and I'd rather be biking. And I'm from Wisconsin, but I live in Mexico and I hate the cold and I will never do a cold plunge if you tell me to like there's a reason I left right like those kind of details it's so interesting to me how the emails that I feel like are just so me are always the highest unsubscribe ones like yeah people will sit and get freebies when I tell you you know how to do this that or the other thing people will read it but I am with you in the quality over quantity of an email list because then when I do show up with an offer or we're hosting an open an open house event People fill out the survey that we ask. People show up in such a different way than I think if they're just, you know, just all sitting there reading, but not taking the action, like you said, or really connecting with you. Exactly. And yeah, those details, those concrete details make people feel like they know you. It's what makes your writing pop and it's what makes them connect with you and say, oh my God, me too. Like uh, you may have heard this, but the... In writing, it's like the more specific you make it, the more universal it becomes. Okay. And is this the secret or is it consistency? Oh, everyone wants to talk about you got to be consistent. You got to be consistent. But I don't know. I feel like there's something to write time as opposed to like all the time. What are, what's your feeling yeah. on consistency with email marketing? Well, I am, I like to say, I like to be consistent in spurts. Mm. Um, (laughs) With my emails, I am consistent in that, uh, like I write, sometimes I'll switch up the day, though I don't care. I don't care when it comes in from somebody else. And I don't think people care when it comes in from me. It doesn't have to, it's normally Monday, Wednesday, Friday. If I send something on a Thursday instead of a Friday, not one person complains. Uh, And nobody who unsubscribes is unsubscribing because it's on a you know Thursday instead of a Friday. Um, I do believe in frequency just in terms of the more you email, the more you sell if you're selling something. And I also like what that the creative opportunity that it gives you to go small, to tell small stories and talk about like the one the thing like today's email from me was about something that I found in the file cabinet when my husband was cleaning it out, like a few things that I found. And I wouldn't have felt 
like writing that if I were writing something weekly or definitely not if it were monthly, I'd feel the, all this pressure to go big and tell something big or a roundup of things. So I like being able to, you know, not have to catch up with my list do not have to catch them up on my life with every email, but mm. just being in regular touch. I do like that. Um, I, I don't think it's an either or. I think specificity is always important, always makes writing better, always makes uh, copywriting, sales copy better, no matter what it is. Specificity, concrete details are what make it interesting, what make it good, what make it persuasive and compelling. So I say it's not an either or. Yeah. Yeah. I find because I, I often think you know, not emailing your list is like sitting on a pot of gold and I like to tend to my gold. And so <laughs> yeah. for accountability, we've kind of created system and, and structures for me to send at least one email per week. Sometimes two fall out of me, but I don't think I would have the same like creativity without the consistency. It's like they go right. together. It's like, you know, working out or anything else. It's like, no, like this is my email to keep the muscle of the brain going and these ideas flowing and people, exactly. people in the loop. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Sorry. It's a practice. That's what I was going to say. It's like a creative, it is a sales tool and it can be a creative practice, especially if you are a writer, someone who loves to write and wants your writing to get better and better and better. And um, yeah, keep it sharp. I think that the consistency helps with that. Totally. And knowing that it, it is a practice and it takes some commitment. Is it worth it? Is email marketing worth it in 2023? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I I, (laughs) I don't, I don't expect that it at some point it won't be unless, you know, there are some sort of new laws or whatever Mm. it is that make it impossible to email out. Or I, you know, I have gone through a period of where of terrible deliverability where everything landed in spam and I could not get it out of the promo folder. And I was like, is this the end? Um, <laughs> that the, at that point, I was feeling like not worth it. But mm-hmm. I, I think email will, for the foreseeable future, be the most intimate place to reach somebody um, on a one-to-one basis. This is from me to you. Like, Oh, as opposed to social media, where it is one to thousands, one to hundreds of thousands. But uh, also just like 2% of those, <laughs> you know, like yeah, the exa- reach. Right, exactly. Yeah. I Yes, I shouldn't say one to hundreds of thousands. It's one to people, one to every person who is subscribed to hundreds of thousands. So it's really, no, it's not one to hundreds. It's one among hundreds of thousands shouting uh, you know, farting in the wind. Um, so I, I think that like, I can't imagine that email is going to lose its value in that sense. Yeah. I wanted to hear it from you because I feel the same way. It's like the more that I watch these other avenues, like social media or even like bots and like all these other things that people come to me saying like, oh, do you think this is going to be the next thing? Like, I still always come back to email because of exactly that commitment that you're talking about. People have opted in. People have sat down to their computer. People have clicked on your name and they continue to do it. Like, that's just such a different level of engagement than we'll ever see on these like quick scrolling automated platforms that I think will come and go. 
Yeah. And don't, and also don't forget, like on Instagram, we all know if we've tried to, you know, provide a link, it's like link mm-hmm. in my bio or check out stories or, you know, comment X and I'll shoot you the link. It's a pain in the ass. People don't want to click on something from your, they're not going to unless it's a promoted, po- you know, a shop post. Um, so email is the place where you can put in a link to whatever, wherever you want them to go and they will actually do it. Totally. Totally. And the other question I like to ask people who wonder about email marketing is like, let's just look at how much time you personally spend on email every day. Like our lives are quite ingrained. Even our calendars are connected to our email. So I am, yeah, I am team email and I wanted to hear it from you as well (laughs) (laughs) that we're going to, you know, right off into the sunset, into the 2030s with, you know, something similar because yeah. this is how humans make decisions. They right. they go to people that they trust. They look at their relationships and, well, what does Laura think about Marie's program? Or what are these people who are in my circle regularly um, inspiring me to take action on? Yeah. Great yeah. stuff. We're on the All same right. page. Yeah. So you, okay, I have one last question around time, which I think is timely with some of the things that you're promoting, but it does take a practice to show up and run your business and send your emails. Um, And you also have a book coming out that you carved out Mm -hmm. time and got super savvy about. Um, So I am curious seeing you from the couch, but also doing a lot. (laughs) If you have a top tip for like time or finding the energy to commit to that project, whether it's your book, your email list, becoming an affiliate, like how do we find that white space if we don't have a lot of it right now in our calendars? Yeah. Um, So the book that you mentioned, Tough Titties, which is behind me on the Zoom screen. I don't know if they'll see the visual, but... um, (laughs) Wait, are there titties? I can just see. I mean, (laughs) that kind of visual? On the cover. (laughs) (laughs) No, um, but... So that book required, especially in the, in the final stretch, some real focus. I mean, it was down to the wire and I was pretty much, I I was up Shit's Creek. Um, if I didn't like buckle down and stop fucking around and sit there and write every single day for a stretch of time. And so what I did was I just, I was I was going to promote it as an affiliate, so I joined it. Um, this is my this was Marie's program, Time Genius, which was new at the time, and I knew that I had to hit the ground running. I had to really buckle down starting beginning of February. My due date was April first, and Time Genius not was starting joke. right then. No, <laughs> not a joke. And right, yeah, not April Fools. And so, um, I was like, oh such bad timing. I don't have time to do a program. But uh, then I realized, you know what, it's a short program and I'm going to take walks anyway. So I'll just listen to it on my phone and maybe it will help me as I'm starting to write more. And the one, the like number one thing that it helped me do, got me to do among other, you know, mindset shifts, if you want to call them that, um, was hide my phone. I had to hide my phone from myself every day. First of all, when I I had a rule, when I woke up, because I would wake up in a swirl of anxiety, uh, I was not allowed to, I couldn't help looking at my iPad, which I I sleep with it by my bed and it has white noise on, but I, I would look at it only to watch something dumb 
on streaming. Like I could watch some old Sex in the City or I could watch some Housewives or whatever. Um, but or I could or I could look at the news because that doesn't agitate me very much. I could not look at social or email or anything that requ- might require a response from me or might get me caught in the swirl of I feel behind because that's what I do when I start to look on social media like uh, or or email sometimes. I'm like, these people are launching bigger and better than me and et cetera. Um, so none of that was allowed until after I had done my work for a certain amount of time that day, like late in the day, I could look at emails like after 3 p.m. But I had to hide my phone under a pillow in my bedroom and close the door. I had, I needed that many barriers yes. to temptation. And that's what did the trick. Yeah, I'm that I'm is with what you. did the trick. Like if I'm doing dry January, like everything needs to be locked away. If like I'm the same type mm-hmm. of person that's like. I need all of the boundaries. Otherwise, I, yeah, numb out or find all these other things to do. And I have to tell you, checking email at 3 p.m. sounds not only super productive, but also very dreamy. I feel like you probably were very effective then when Mm -hmm. you showed up at 3 that that's what you were doing. I'm someone who had the dream of like work anywhere, anytime. And I'm at my computer on email at 9 a.m. most days. Like, wait, this was... I didn't create my own cubicle over here. And I've actively been playing with some of those rules for myself in the morning too. Cause it's, I know it's when I have good ideas and my best energy, but then those, those habits of just, where does the time go? Where did the mind uh, 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 just lost time, lost time, hours of lost time. And I don't know if you're like me, Hannah, but I, like I open emails when I'm, if I'm not careful, if I'm not like guarding myself the way I did then, um, when I'm out walking, I will check email without even knowing I'm doing it. And then I'll open emails that look interesting. Uh, and often there's emails that I have to answer. And then I will save them, usually mark them as unread. Or I'll try to answer them on the street, which isn't a good idea. Like, why can't, why not wait till I'm home, right? Even with a text, why not wait till I'm home and sit, sitting down at the computer? Uh, or why not wait till three? There's very little that has to be answered right away. So it's just, it frees up so much time when you don't have that distraction in front of you. You don't have the toggling back and forth between tasks and thinking of new things that I have to, I have to do and starting to open up another browser. And before I know, it's like the yeah, because all the white over. space you just talked about mm-hmm. just got like very gray, right? Uh, so I think sucked up. Yeah, no, that's such a good reminder for us that even if we have the white space or we've created our schedule and we're working from the couch, it's like what are we actually doing and probably some great tips in Marie's next course on that time genius piece. But yeah, love, love, love what you are doing and sharing and the way that you continue to show up in all of your spaces, black, white, gray, (laughs) Um, as you are. Yeah. Doing the, the feminine marketing again, from my perspective, I see you very much showing up based on connection, collaboration and community. And so where can people join the the group and get more from? Oh, from yeah. You, um, Talking well, Shrimp. C- yes. Come on over to TalkingShrimp.com for starters. I have freebies over there. I have a freebie that I, I need to put it in the nav bar. It's not, it's not findable right now, which is silly. Uh, and it's called Story Goldmine. 
And so it is 63 surprising places to mine your everyday life for stories that sell. So it's all these prompts and then ways to, the bonus part of it is really good, ways to connect those to some sort of call to action, some sort of takeaway or arc to meaning or segue uh, in a very, that's selling in a very feminine way, I think. Um, And so find me there. I'm at Laura Belgray on Instagram. That's where I am mostly on uh, when it comes to social, then I would really love it. And I know, like, I know your crowd is going to love this book. If you would pre-order Tough Titties and you'll find that at toughtittiesbook.com. It comes out June 13th. And I don't know if ever, if you um, who are listening know this, but pre-orders are crucial for a book's success. And so I want, listen, vulnerable share. I want this to be a bestseller. And I know like New York Times bestseller list is a possibly a pipe dream with a list my size, but I want to go for it anyway. So these pre-orders, like if you pre-order one, awesome. If you pre-order two, even better. Pre-order five, you'll get bigger bonuses. I've got bonuses for you if you pre-order. And it would mean the world to me if you ordered one for yourself and for some friends. Um, And it's a great read. It is not the kind of book that I, in in this industry, am expected to write or was expected to write, which made it hard to sell. It's not an expert book. It's not a how-to book. It's more of a how-not-to. It's it's personal essays. Like, it's a memoir in essays. Of my life, including I was hoping I for that because yeah. I was hoping that's how you would write because that's how I feel reading your emails. I'm like, it's another chapter of the ongoing memoir that's like short essay, relatable. I don't know if you know mm-hmm. David. Well, of course, Sedaris. David Sedaris is one of my favorite writers, and it's the same All kind time. of just like, just give me a quick hit and then I'll continue people watching on the beach. Sort of is what I was hoping from you. So exactly, that is this is a beach read, and yeah. I, I'm so glad you brought up David Sedaris because. This is something that I'm not allowed to say as a writer, but I would like for someone else to say <laughs> that my book is a com- is uh, a combo of David Sedaris and Judy Bloom, like if they had oh a love child, okay, with some wow. Sam Irby thrown in. Okay, well, I will just be hot trotting over there to that link myself and awesome. looking forward to the free chapter. Hopefully, if you can microdose us, that would be great. <laughs> um, but thank you so much, Laura Belgray. We'll make sure we have links to talkingshrimp.com and the new book, Tough Titties, for stocking stuffers already. We can be thinking about, you know, 2023 gifts. Yeah, or think about summer stockings. Maybe you want to give your gifts early. Bikini stuffers. <laughs> yeah, bikini stuffers. <laughs> Too good for tough titties. Yeah. Tough titties, that it is <laughs> exactly. a, the ultimate bikini stuffer. Uh, thank you. Well, on that note, we will leave our um, tough titties to our bikinis and let you <laughs> go today, Laura. Thank you so much for all of your, your wisdom and excellent energy. Thank you, Hannah. It's a blast. Okay, so after all that talk, you and I both know that action brings clarity. So here's what to do next. Go to www.dfycopywriting.org slash free to get your current marketing appraised by the done for you marketing team. That's us. 
We want to help you lay all the puzzle pieces of your brand and business on the table so you can see exactly where you're totally on point with your messaging and where you need to zhuzh it up to get you even better results and more clients. And if you got a gem out of this episode specifically, please let us know. Screenshot, share to Instagram and tag Hannah Hermanson underscore and make sure all of your biz besties know about this episode. Lastly, if you're getting consistent value from our show, please take two minutes to leave us a review and let us know what you're loving and what you love to see more of. We love seeing you and we'll be back here next week with another episode.